Hey, I'm Dr. Laura Berman, a sex and relationship therapist. And for the past three decades, I've been helping people learn how to love and be loved better. That's what we're doing here on The Language of Love, where I get to answer calls and emails from people just like you. My goal with The Language of Love is to help you discover more meaningful emotional and physical intimacy and to help you build more awareness of how precious and sacred your sexuality really is. Be sure to email me or reach out with your very own love, sex, relationship questions, and I might just answer them live on the air. It's time we all become fluent in the language of love. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the language of love with me, Dr. Laura Berman, joined by someone really special. I'm so excited to introduce our guest this week's episode, Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. Welcome. Hi, Laura. Thank you so much for having me on your show again. It's such an honor to be here. I'm very happy to have you. Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. is a Toltec Master of Transformation, direct descendant of the Toltecs, author of five books, including the topic that we're going to talk about today, his book that he wrote with Heather Ashamara called Seven Secrets to Healthy, Happy Relationships. And I don't know if you remember, do you like being called Miguel or Don Miguel? It's like people asking me, do I want to be called Dr. Laura or Laura? And I, what's your opinion on that? Well, I like bingo, you know, it's, yeah. it's, uh, I usually tell people, it's like, yeah, you can introduce me first with Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. And then after that, just Miguel. Yeah, that's, that's how it's, I it's, am. It's, yeah, it's, it's a term of endearment. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like it, it allows us that intimacy. Sometimes. That's right. Into me, see. So, Miguel, I don't know if you remember, but I was at your shaman's gathering in Sedona and I came up and introduced yeah. myself. And actually, mm-hmm. I gave you a copy of my book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have it upstairs. So I went with two girlfriends, and actually, that was the first big community outing. I, I mean, I wasn't alone in that because I think a lot of people have been mm-hmm. obviously isolating. And this was one of the first big gatherings that a lot of people have attended. But for me, as I think I told you when I met you, my son Sammy passed away six months ago. And so I was, so mm-hmm. I went with these two beautiful soul sister girlfriends that were sort of girding me on both sides. And we had this beautiful weekend with you all. And I actually posted, if you, if you follow me on social media, I'm not, I know you don't follow me, but people listening, if you follow, you saw a lot of my posts from when I was there and it was really beautiful. You I, this was the first one I'd ever been to a shaman's gathering. I know you all sort of have been doing it every year, right? For the last five, six years. Yes. Yeah, it was beautiful and um, very profound. And what I loved, not I mean, obviously, all of the presentations and your wisdom that you all were sharing uh, was really beautiful. But what really struck me, because I do a lot of events and I go to a lot of events, is the community of shaman and training, all the attendees. There was so many. I don't I, I don't know if you saw because you were probably too busy working. But where at whenever you walked around campus, there were people making drum circles or dancing together or, you know, it was really a beautiful mm-hmm. community. And I know that's in large part a yeah. testament to you and the other guides and teachers, you know, the community that you bring around you. But I just wanted to compliment you on that too, because I know you all have a huge part to do with the people you attract. Yeah, it's a wonderful community. You know, the uh, Randy Davila with Inside Events does a great job with that project. And uh, Mago Retreat Center in Sedona. Mm-hmm. They do a great job. They, they, they're they yeah. a great tag team. 
and then having all the teachers you know every every teacher there brings mm -hmm. a different element to the event that allows us to yeah. commingle with one another you know it's like the people who follow heather ashamara uh the people who uh follow star wolf or myself or every, everyone else in the in the panel it's uh it's a wonderful mixture of approaches to self-healing yeah. to love yeah. to and that's really i thought was powerful about shaman you know the idea of shaman how it like just talk about you know this idea of shamanism that sort of was the headline i think of the weekend is that it's really about self-healing right it's about how would you describe it well no exactly that's it it's, it's about healing you know for me a mm -hmm. shaman is a healer and as you, you can say that All ceremonies are have the intent or purposes of grounding in the sense of finding that experience that allows us to heal a wound in our being, in our psyche, in our all, and whatever it is that is our self. And we give ourselves that opportunity. And what I remember telling everyone at the event is that you have different channels of different teachers here and look yeah. for the things that resonate with you. That thing that resonates with us is the thing that allows us to not just relate, but it speaks to a truth in us. And that's what allows us to give ourselves the permission to heal. So for me, a shaman, as a faith healer or even a doctor, they're instruments for the yeah. patient to heal themselves. You know, I, I was born and raised in a family of healers. My father being a medical doctor, my mom being a dentist, my grandmother being a faith healer, my grandfather being a faith healer and uncles who are doctors as well. If anything, I've learned from watching the two different types of healing, you know, with Western medicine and non-traditional or traditional mm -hmm. homeopathic and natural remedies healing, is that the patient uses the doctor, the nurses, yeah. the practitioner to heal themselves. You know, it's, it's about being the willingness to Curious. It's like I, you know, for example, the, the doctor will set something up. You know, for example, I just took my son to mm -hmm. he had a, a toe infection, and I took him to see his doctor. The doctor, you know, prepared his toe, made an incision to let all that pus out to clean the thing out. And my son, you know, did his very best to handle the pain oh, and then breathe. And I'm there holding his hand giving him like comforting so his harder. anxiety. My son has autism. And, uh, and the thing about it is that it all required my son letting me and my wife know, I don't feel good. Yeah. Then making an appointment and we go there and the doctor becomes an instrument that allows my son to heal. And the same way I, I see a shaman, a shaman is an instrument that allows me to heal. And in order to heal, it requires awareness. But a lot of us have wounds that you can't see. It's in our persona. It's in our heart. It's in our mind. It's in our whatever it is that we want to address that needs that healing. You know, our memories, our anxiety, our disbalance. It requires that moment to have that awareness that something is off. And once you accept it, now you can take a step further and find that healing that resonates in a shamanic practice it is something quite similar you have an aha moment you know that something is off you go to the thing to the person you resonate with in this case it would be a shaman you, you resonate 
with the lessons and teachings of a shaman. And you go into a yeah. ceremony, and in the ceremony, you do the thing that allows you to let go. You know, I'm thinking, for example, of you write a little in a piece of paper that wound you you, you write, or you write in a journal that what moment. Or you had us do something at the your event where we went out and took rocks. A rock to represent what we wanted to let go of and then to physically release it. Yeah, that's a good example of what you're saying. Exactly. And that's basically awareness. We're bringing into the and forefront into of our action. attention that which we want to heal. And as we prepare ourselves emotionally for we tell our story about, you know, in, this, in the example of the stones, you pick up a stone and that stone becomes a symbol that represents that wound, that condition, that that makes us feel inferior or makes us brings pain into our life we look at how that impacted our life we understand what domestication is and we understand what how it impacted our relationships but once you once you get that point you come to the, um, the ceremony itself which is very simple do i want to keep this in my life or not if i don't then that's when we take the step of forgiveness. That's the example we did in the ceremony in, in Sedona. I forgive myself for ever saying yes to this. Or I forgive myself for allowing this to continue to hurt me beyond that moment in time. Yeah, it's like the awareness, the recognition, the release and the forgiveness or forgiveness and release, which is so crucial. If you're like the millions of women out there and the people who love them whose sex lives have been negatively affected by chronic urinary tract infections, I wanted to tell you about a product line I discovered called Eucora because people don't talk about this enough. UTIs can happen due to menopause, pregnancy, so many other factors. And so many women struggle with this and go to the doctor repeatedly and then end up avoiding sex as a result. Eucora not only offers UTI relief and proactive urinary tract health supplements, but they have a whole learning center on their website with research and information for you. So get proactive about urinary tract health with Eucora. Right now, Eucora is offering 20% off when you go to eucora.com slash love, but hurry because it's a limited time offer. Go to eucora.com slash love and get 20% off your order. That's U-Q-O-R-A dot com slash love. I knew some about shamanism, but not as much as I learned over that weekend. But what I love about it is that it's very, it's fundamentally what I already subscribe to and do in my own work, which is like healer, heal thyself first, right? Like we have to, which I do think is a distinction between the more shamanistic approach, Mm -hmm. not that one is better than the other. And Mm -hmm. Western medicine is that a a doctor prescribing medicine, you know, he has to be somewhat Mm self-aware, but he doesn't have to have done all the personal healing work that a really good shaman has to do. Oh yeah. You you can't give what you do not have. That's the thing. So, you know, I, I remember someone talking about and complaining about all these authors sharing their stuff. And I told this person, you do know that all these people who are yeah. teachers or authors went through all this stuff and they got out on the other side and now they're sharing what helped them with us. And that's what resonates. Yeah, you know? learn, teach. That's what allows us to see the humanity of an individual. So you mentioned domestication, which I want to get to in a minute. That's a fundamental teaching of 
your work of like, perhaps mm-hmm. all of shamanism, but, and we're going to talk about what that is, but I want to mention your book. First of all, your most recent book, seven secrets to healthy, happy relationships. And we're not going to get into all of these, but the seven secrets are commitment, freedom, awareness, healing, joy, communication, and release. Did I get them all? Mm-hmm. Okay. But it starts, right? What you talk about is the fundamental underpinning of this is unconditional love. And we're going to get to domestication and exactly what that is. But domestication is basically a block. Yes. Right. To un- unconditional love. So mm-hmm. will you just talk for a moment about the difference between unconditional versus conditional love? Because everybody has a different definite. I mean, we can sure. guess what that is. But as you define it. Oh, of course. Well, first, let's say love is an energy that allows us to create a bond. It's, it's always good to have that foundation. Love is an energy that allows us to create a bond yeah. between an individuals, yeah. between ourselves, between life. It is the thing that brings us together. It's a beautiful An thing. energy. It is yes. an energy. So with that understanding, the difference between conditional and unconditional love, to me, is that conditional love only sees what it wants to see. And unconditional love is the willingness to see life as is. It's willingness to see the whole. So you can say that what corrupts love. You know, my father always taught me, the opposite of love is not hate or anger. Hate and anger are just the instruments by which we implement the opposite of love, which is love. The opposite of love is love. To put it simple, the opposite of unconditional love is conditional love. Mm. Very simple. So people use hate and to execute conditional love. Got it. Yeah. And what I mean by that is this. In our books, from the Four Agreements to my father's book, The Four Agreements, to my own books, to my brother's book, all the books in our family deal with domestication a system of reward and punishment by which we model the behavior of an individual, where if we live up to an expectation, we're worthy of a reward. And if we fall short of that expectation, we're worthy of the punishment. Mm -hmm. And since we are emotional beings who experience the full spectrum of our emotions, that reward feels like acceptance, which feels like love. And the punishment feels like rejection and the lack thereof of love. Is the way we run conditional love. Yeah, I love you if you live up to my expectation. Now, the example I love to give is that of myself. Hello, my name is Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. If you have an expectation of what that means, you think of this individual that always does his best, is not doesn't take things personal, doesn't make assumptions. (gasps) I forgot the fourth agreement. Oh no, how can I call myself Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. if I don't know the four agreements? (laughs) And there is the downward spiral of judgment punishing me for not living up that expectation of perfection Mm -hmm. where Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. doesn't take things personal, doesn't make assumptions, always does his best, and he's impeccable with his word. Thank you very much. If I live up to the expectations, I'm worthy of the name. I'm worthy of... The image, I'm worthy of whatever it is that Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. represents. But if I forget, for example, the fifth agreement, be skeptical, but learn to listen. Oh, no, there I go again. I fall short again. And there's a diatribe of judgment punishing myself for not living up to that image. At that moment, I'm basically using the four agreements as an instrument of domestication, where if I live up to the four agreements or five agreements, I'm worthy of not just my name or the, my, the Totec tradition, but I'm worthy of love. I'm worthy of acceptance. I'm worthy of so many things. And if you don't... But if I don't, I only get the punishment. Yeah. It's kind of like the equivalent of saying, in order to be perfect, 
which is something that is completely free of any flaw. Mm-hmm. I have to be 27 years old, weigh 170 pounds, and have hair like my brother Jose. <laughs> he does and if have you ever nice see my hair. brother Jose, he has long, <laughs> flowing hair. It's beautiful. You know, it's like Fabio, Fabio has nothing yeah. on my brother, you know. But I look at myself in the mirror, and that's just not the truth. I am 45 years old. I weigh 195 pounds, and I'm I'm definitely oh, balding. Wow. But because I don't live up to the expectation, I'm going to yeah. judge myself. You fat bleep. You old fat bleep. You bold old fat bleep. And that's a result of societal domestication, right? Or or sometimes yeah. in our families, oh, oh, like mine. It's easy to say societal, but it really is, comes to the individual because I said yes to it. I believe it. Yes, yes. And that's, the most, that's a very important uh, distinction. Society like a culture or a family or individuals or friends or beloveds, they might try to impose their domestication on you, but it still requires us for us to agree with it. Let's just pause for a minute because I want people to understand if what we're talking about when we talk about domestication, which is Mm -hmm. fundamentally creating conditional love. So define what domestication is. So that's what domestication is. I love you if you live up to my expectation. Some people prefer the word conditioning because they say, well, we humans don't get domesticated. Only animals do. Ah. But yeah, conditioning and domestication are exactly the same concept. And we are animals. Yeah. So in this example, you know, domestication basically is the way we've learned how to love ourselves with conditions. If you want to be worthy of the family name. And in this case, the four agreements becomes the four conditions. Yeah. The instruments by which I love myself con- conditionally, using the four agreements as a corrupted version of right. it. Right, supposed to be something that frees you, not that you use to judge yourself. Yeah, exactly. It's an instrument of, of, of unconditional love. But, it's, it's, but we're so attached to our domestication that we will corrupt all these things, not just the four agreements. We'll de- corrupt Deepak Chopra, Maryam, Williamson, <laughs> Jesus, Buddha, Siddhartha, Muhammad, psychology, psychiatry, yeah. Alcoholics Anonymous. So those judgments that we create of ourselves, right, when we self-domesticate, the idea is, which is something I obviously believe as a therapist and work with people, is to recognize where those stories come from, right? And and you've talked yes. a lot about this in your own life and in your and in your writing. Yeah. That each of us, we as parents do this to our children unconsciously until we learn otherwise. And even then we're obviously not perfect. It was done to us because our our caregivers, not just our community, were literally, like you were saying, approved for children, approval and love are the same thing. Yeah. And that's because it's it's an instrument that somehow allows us to control another individual. That's the other the other yeah. uh, side of domestication, the, the subjugation of someone else's will according to the point of view. Like, for example, one of my favorite quotes is by Eleanor Roosevelt, which goes, no one can make you feel inferior without my consent. Your consent, yeah. sorry. If I, if I paraphrase, no one can make me feel inferior without my consent, or no one can domesticate me without my consent. Yes. The question is, how do we give consent? And the answer is very simple. By agreeing with it, by saying yes to it. Yeah. That's how we, we give consent. So to me, the moment I become aware that I said yes, it doesn't matter if it's societal or family or friends. I'm the one who said yes. To me, if, if, 
if the consequence of domestication or conditioning is that I lose trust in my own ability to say yes and no, this personal freedom is to be able to say yes and no with a complete freedom of life that my no is just as powerful as my yes. But mm-hmm. like Uncle Ben told Peter Parker, with great power comes great responsibility. To have personal freedom is to be able to say yes and no without freedom, to say yes to the things I want to say yes to and no to the things I want to say no to. And with that comes the responsibility of I will experience the consequences of my own choices. I am responsible for my own will. So from that point of view. That's what I've been saying to my 23-year-old at this point. You know, whatever I did to screw you up, I take responsibility for. But at this point, (laughs) it's up to you. To heal it. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's like, it, it's, it's, it gets to that moment where you become aware of it. You know, my brother has a, an analogy that I love. Mm-hmm. A scorpion that decides to no longer sting itself with its own poison. Mm-hmm. I love that analogy. And I used it to compare, compare it to another lesson of, uh, someone taught me in Sacramento, which goes like this. Forgiveness is the moment you no longer wish the past was any different. Mm-hmm. It is the moment you accept it and you let it go. Yeah. To accept it means that you know that you can go back in the past and change a yes to a no or no to yes because life no longer exists in the past. Right. So you can't make a changes. It, it, it happened. To let it go simply means that I will no longer use the past to, to hurt me and impact me in the present. And that's where the analogy of the scorpion comes in. Mm-hmm. It's the moment where the scorpion no longer decides to sting itself with its own poison that it meant for someone else, but it's so used to that domestication or condition or pain that it, or pain that he or she is used to, or it, it's the moment where I choose to no longer hurt and move on. Kind of like the ceremony we were talking about mm-hmm. with the stones. Mm-hmm. The moment of forgiveness is the moment we drop that stone and we no longer let it infect our present. Yeah, that's really so. In the in our domestication, you can say that. Conditional love is implementing that emotional poison, letting someone else's point of view, letting someone else's prejudice or ideas of what love should be. And we continue to believe it until the moment comes where we realize, you know, I no longer believe it. And that it is, it usually it's a moment of clarity where I become aware of what I've created. Yeah. You know, it's like you, you use the example of your son that, yes, at one point, yes, you taught him domestication. But at one point, it's his journey, and that journey will come the moment where I no longer believe that domestication. And I no longer subscribe to it, and I let it go, and I forgive you, mama. (laughs) Yeah, and then the the way that forgiveness comes, comes the moment when we're able to see our parents as as, uh, peers. For me, when my son was born, you know, I read What to Expect When You're Expecting. I read all the books. I had that wisdom in the sense of of reading from books, but when I held my son in my hands, in my arms, I realized I had no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm doing and then I realized the thing that we parents don't tell kids or our peer other people no. is that we don't know what we're doing. As soon as we get used to being the parent of a one year old, they turn two, making everything we know about parenting yep. irrelevant. Then they turn four, then they turn and eight, they turn twelve, and every birthday seems yeah. Yeah, exactly. It seems like every birthday makes everything we know about parenting irrelevant because the person we're raising is changing in front of us. And that's when I realized that my parents have been doing it, playing <laughs> it by ear 
for all that time. And all of a sudden you realize you take off the mask yeah. of mom and dad and you see the two people yes. who did their yes. best with what they've got. And they only shared in this basically sometimes this is the moment where you become an adult when you no longer see mom and dad as this godlike official godlike being that we put in a pedestal is the moment we take off the mask and we see them as human beings who are doing the best with what they've got and once you see that from from that point of view it's easier to forgive because you see them in the same way yes you see them yourself we're doing it our best and that's when real shifts becomes to happen Sometimes that happens if you have a kid. Sometimes it happens when you don't. It, it, it all comes to, to the moment when the individual yeah. realizes that our parents are just human beings who are doing their best with what they've got. And eventually it stops being their responsibility to raise us yeah. and it starts being my own. For example, in, in a presentation, I was talking about how I was dealing with the anxiety of raising teenagers and how it's going to be out there in the world, especially with one of them with special needs. And then... I became a, a line, help me, which goes, how to raise an adult is basically to teach them mm-hmm. how to survive without me. And also, it, it dawned on me, my job as a, as a parent now is to teach them how to survive without me. Oh, that That's is. the gig. It's, 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 it's the moment where they take off the life vest that me and my wife put onto them, and they decide that... I got this and I'm going to take this life vest because mm-hmm. I have confidence in myself yeah, to make those choices. Yeah. And as I use that analogy, we're both, I've been the parent. I am the parent. And at the same time, I've been the son. My mom and my dad took off that vest. So let me take off yeah. that vest a long time ago. Yeah, that's true. And that's very powerful. And we've talked, you know, we've been talking about domestication, in terms, and actually, we've talked about some of the secrets, right? Awareness, becoming aware, releasing, mm-hmm. you know, committing to condi- to unconditional love, domestication that we do to ourselves. But I love how you talk about the ways in love, and I know you cover this in the book as well. That we usually unconsciously domesticate or try to domesticate our partners. You know, especially when we have differing viewpoints. Yeah. Right. And I love there was something a a note I took. There was something that you were talking about. It was about imposing your will. Basically, you're taking away your partner's freedom when they Mm -hmm. disagree with you. And you're just innocently, which I try to do all the time, Mm -hmm. innocently trying to convince your partner to agree (laughs) with you when they have a very clear no or yes, the opposite of you. Mm -hmm. That there's a way in which you are imposing your will and attempting to domesticate and this was the big aha make them doubt their own will like the only way you get them to come to your side Mm -hmm. is if you get them to doubt themselves and that really struck me will you talk about that subjugate them will yeah i only control to the tips of my fingers i control my will and i control my intent that's something that it took a long time for me to truly understand what do I control in this world? And the only thing I truly control is my will and my perception. I'm the infinite possibility because I'm alive at this very moment. My yes is a very powerful thing because with that three-letter word, I can use the intent, the energy that animates my body to create anything. I can go in any direction I want. My mind can think yeah. of all these possibilities, and if I like one of them, I'll say yes to it. 
my no is just as powerful as my yes. Because that two-letter word represents the moment where I choose not to use the energy that animates this body, that animates this mind to manifest a single thing. And for as long as I say no, thy won't be done. My no is just as powerful as my yes. Like I was saying before, my yes and my no, also known as my will, to have personal freedom is to be able to say yes and no with a complete freedom of life. I am free. You can say that's the first secret, freedom, to recognize the power of my own will or my own intent, whichever word we prefer to use. I am free to go in any direction. And the commitment is to give myself that opportunity to heal, you know, to let go of that domestication in my mind and give myself that permission to heal, which comes with the awareness. What am I healing? So in my relationship, I am the constant in every relationship that I am in. So let's take my wife, for example. My wife is also free. She is my equal. She is my equal because she is alive at the same time as I am alive. We're both living beings with the full capacity to go in any direction in life. And here's the thing. She controls to the tips of her fingers her own will and her own intent, just like me. And here's the beautiful part. Two individual beings who have gone through life met and fell in love, and we've been saying yes to one another ever since. The relationship between she and I exists because we're both saying yes at the same time. And that's true of every relationship. Every relationship exists for as long as those two people are saying yes. Because the moment one changes that yes into a no, it ceases to exist. That relationship ceases to exist, which means my relationship with my wife exists because with our own freedom, we're saying yes. Now, here's the thing. The only thing that will exist in our relationship are the things that we both say yes to. If she says no to something or I say no to something, that won't be done. You see, to respect her is to respect her ability to say yes and no to the things she wants to say yes and no to, just in the same way I respect myself. I respect my no just as much as my yes. And my no is just as powerful, which means my wife's no is just as powerful as her yes. To respect my wife is to respect her no. No means no. means no. no. But I'm very grateful that she's saying yes. My, my wedding ring has power. It means something because it represents both she and I are saying yes to one another. Now, here's the thing. There's the expression, if you love someone, set them free. That means that my wife, at any given moment, she can change that yes into a no. If I do something stupid or she just simply goes in different in a different direction in life, she has every right to say no. In fact, this wedding ring doesn't really stop her. You know, any, there's no amount of domestication that can really stop her once she really has yeah. personal and freedom. And that makes you not keep her for, not, true, not take uh, her for granted, right? Because you both understand that. Exactly. Every relationship exists for as long as we both say yes. So to set someone free is to respect that free will. I only control to the tips of my fingers, which allows me to, like you were saying, not to take for granted this relationship. But I do have a question about this. Um, As a recovering Mm -hmm. codependent who 
has had to, because of my own domestication and, you know, uh, very early on, you know, I would say one of my biggest challenges has been discern- what I would call discernment, knowing, like we were talking about before, knowing mm-hmm. my true no and yes, and mm-hmm. not moving into questioning that in, in the face of someone's disagreement who I care about. And so a lot of my adult life has been creating these boundaries, right? And really honoring my boundaries. But for someone like me, and there are millions of us, mm-hmm. how would you describe distinguishing between a healthy no, for instance, a healthy boundary that is about really honoring your authentic self and a boundary that is really a result of domestication or, you know, doubt, you know what I mean? Like how do you, or your ego or whatever, like, how do you really know when that boundary, for those of us who doubt our boundaries, when they're hard to hold, Mm -hmm. how do you know that that boundary is coming from a healthy place? Very simple answer to a very complicated question. (laughs) Our emotions are real. What triggers them may not be real. Our emotions are real. So when we feel those emotions, that's how we feel. Mm-hmm. So for me, the telltale sign that a boundary, a no, comes from unconditional love is I don't have to say no with anger. Mm-hmm. I have complete confidence and trust in myself to say no to the things I want to say no to. I'm, my boundary is there to protect this living being. A no giving with anger yeah. is basically saying, you know, for me, a lot of people think, well, a few people, whoever resonates with this, actually, I'll I'll use that phrase, whoever resonates with this. Mm -hmm. Anger is actually giving away your power, even though it makes us feel mighty and strong and we can do whatever we want when we say no with anger. It's actually a crutch because we're not confident in our no, so we have to use our anger to reinforce it. Ah, that's, that's a good point. And from that point of view, I don't trust my no and I have to only be able to say it with anger. Yeah. And usually that comes with pain, of course, a wound that's there. But it's also the way we've learned how to assert ourselves. Mm-hmm. So from that point of view, when I'm learning to assert myself, which simply means I'm learning how to say yes and no, and I no. Like imagine I'm eight years old and I'm, I know how to talk and I'm saying no to mom, no to dad. Yeah. At that moment, I'm gaining my confidence to say no. But if they really want that, yes. And this is where the uh, uh, the other question comes in. If I'm saying no, but they really want that, yes, they're going to use an instrument that allows them to change that no into a yes. And that usually is doubt. Look at you. You made this mistake. You made that mistake. Let me think Mm -hmm. for you. Or you don't know, or you're not good at figuring things out, or exactly. You're not, so let's 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 put first the first contrast. When I said to respect my wife is to respect her no just as much as her yes, which means imagine two her index finger touching my index mm-hmm. finger, and those fingers, even though it looks like <laughs> ET, represents represents respect. Mm-hmm. With two individuals who come together, and the only thing that will exist between she and I are the things we both say yes to, and that's how we create the dream of us or the relationship between us. The only thing that will exist in our relationship are the things we both say yes to. If she says no to something or I say no to something, it will not be a part of it. It doesn't happen. happen. Yeah, And that's where I think a lot of couples get stuck 
And you talk about this, I know, about, yeah. you know, those big kahunas, money, religion, children, those sex even, mm-hmm. you know, those big four topics that yeah. couples seem to have the most problems with. And then you really do, every single couple is going to come to many if you have a long relationship and are engaging in any of these things together and you're human, you're mm-hmm. going to come across one of you with a very clear no and one of you with a very clear yes. And my sense is that your approach to that is, okay, we agree to disagree. And then, right? Like, and then how do you decide which direction to go from your perspective? Well, for that, you know, because you know, I'm still trying to answer the other question. Um, <laughs> all right, so wait a minute. I- okay, let me, let me still balance things out because, you know, the other question is still, is I'll, still I'll up in the air. keep going with the other question. We can hold this one. Let me ground it because no, because like, uh, I'm going to make stone soup because it it's feels the way you put it. It's me, perfectly. But, I, but that's yes. just my All right. Brain. So, in, in the example of me and my wife, obviously she says no to things and I say no to things. And when we were a young couple, we would yeah. fight. You know, most of the f- fights or arguments that couples have is who's going to domesticate yeah. who because whoever controls the yes of a relationship controls the relationship. And this is where we begin to go beyond, you know, we can say that. If you have that image of the fingers who are touching and with mutual respect, if I want that yes and I want that no or something like that, you can say we st- I start pushing yeah. back and forth. All of a sudden, it starts being who controls. And then there's a line of respect which one of them crosses, and they try to impose their will on the other. And the other one subjugates yeah. their will. I love you if comes into play. If you want to be with me, you better live up to this expectation. If you want to be with me, you have to do this. You have to do that. This is what a woman is supposed to yeah. do. This is what a man yeah. is supposed to do. This is what, and we begin to project because that's we can say that what the majority of what we see out there is a battle of wills of who is going to control yes and no in the relationship. So a lot of people who become dependent tend to subjugate their will so that yeah, please don't leave me. I will do anything you want. At that moment, that person yeah. subjugates their will and the other person yeah. imposes their will. And some say that's called peace, but it's not peace. It's a lack of respect on both ends. On, on the other, on the, on the imposing, the person who is imposing their will, they don't respect the will of the other individual. The subjugated person, in this case, doesn't respect right. their own yes or no. They've given in they to the self-doubt. The finger pushing mo- doesn't even have to push. They just pull it back. <laughs> yes. And you can run away, but that's the thing is that eventually you're going to face that one relationship where yeah. you don't want to run away. Yeah. And that's where it usually happens. So my wife and I, in our relationship, started something we call the art of arguing. And the art of arguing between she and I, because us. We used to argue a lot, especially when we were young and in our, we've been together 17 years and we've been married for 15 and we used to fight a lot about money, about how to raise, you know, nothing brings out a culture clash like raising children. And, you know, my wife and I come from two totally different points of view. You know, I grew up in the city. I grew up in San Diego and Tijuana. She grew up in the farm in in the South Lake Tahoe area, sorry, in a Salt Lake City area, she grew up Mormon. I grew up Catholic. So raising children comes, you know, yeah. b- bring brings out a culture clash. All right. So the art of argument came like this. My grandfather always taught me that if you're about to put your foot in your mouth, button your lip. If you already put your foot in your mouth, button your lip even harder. 
something my grandfather said, and he passed away when I was 14 years old. Yeah. But it, it stuck with me. So when me and my wife would be fighting, because here's the thing. When couples come and ask me for advice, I always ask them the same question. Do you guys want to stay together? If they both say yes, the rest is easy because that mutual yes is the motivator that allows us to get through the hurdles of a lot of stuff. Someone who's just simply dating, when they reach that first hurdle, they'll mm-hmm. break up. You know, kind yeah. of the way you were describing, or you'll run just- away. You break up. But then you meet someone who is a little bit more committed and you reach that first hurdle and that yes is a little bit stronger and you'll go through a few hurdles until you hit that one hurdle that's like Samantha Jones would say, it's a deal breaker. <laughs> yeah. You break up. Then you have that one relationship where that yes is that strong and you're willing yeah. to work through it because this person, this relationship is worth the effort. You know, like my dear friend Kirk would say, is the juice worth the squeeze, which to me means is the consequence worth the effort? <laughs> is the relationship worth the effort? Yeah. And if we yeah. both say yes, that's easy. If they both say no, that's also easy because they're both saying the truth. It's difficult when one says yes and the other one says no. That's where it's complicated. So for me, yes. in the arguments my wife and I were having, you know, normally, yes, we would break up, whatever, but this relationship is worth it. So I'm realizing I'm about to say something stupid, which to me means I'm about to say something that's going to hurt her. And that's the thing that happens when you have a couples. Mm-hmm. Eventually, you get to know where the trigger points, where the, where the bullseye's in. Yep. And all you have to do is just say the word and you yep. hit the bullseye because all you want to do is win the Go argument. The right? All right. Yeah. I'm about to say something stupid. I don't want to hurt her. So what I did was I buttoned my lip, but I'm about to say it again. And I walked away. I, I left the room. That was my first attempt. And she, and felt she followed me. Yes. She followed me going, yeah. hey, where do you think you're going? And of course, boom, you know, <laughs> I, I, I blew up. I said it. And there it is. Later, I would tell her, love, I'm leaving because I'm about to say something stupid. I'm about to hurt you. And I don't want to mm-hmm. say it. So I leave. My wife said, well, when you do that, it feels to me like you're not listening to me and you are not taking me into consideration and you're disregarding me. And I said, no, love, that's not what I'm doing. What I'm doing is I'm about to say something stupid. I can't stop it. And the only way to stop it is if I leave the room. She said, fine. Mm. You do that with a promise that once you defuse yourself, you come back in. Right. You don't blow it off. You don't blow it off. You, you take the time. And here's what happens when we start doing this. When we came back in, my willingness to hear her went up. Mm-hmm. And her willingness to hear me went up. All of a sudden, we're able to once again dialogue, talk to one another, communicate. Yeah. You know, that's the other secret. Communicate with one another. And all of a sudden, we realize that if we have a disagreement in finances, that doesn't mean that I don't love her or I don't think she's smart or vice versa. Mm-hmm. It's, we began to separate apples to apples, oranges to oranges. Our talk about raising children has nothing to do with our relationship. Our talk about yeah. finances has nothing to do with our relationship. We were able to separate the different topics by understanding each other where we came, but it first had to, we had to diffuse our yes. triggers 
And, that's and how- get out even neurologically. That makes sense because you're getting at it when we're triggered and we're in anger or f- intense fear. We're in our amygdala, that reptilian part of the brain. Mm-hmm. And when you leave and diffuse, you're calming down and you can activate the thinking part of your brain that can actually take in information and process. Mm-hmm. But let me ask you this, using you and your wife as an example, since that's what we're talking mm-hmm. about. You've now, you know, pulled off, you're back in your prefrontal cortex, you come back together, you're able to really listen to each other. Mm -hmm. But after listening to each other, let's say it's about like public school or private school or Mm -hmm. homeschool or, you know, a big decision, right? Mm -hmm. And at the end of talking about that, really listening to each other, both of you still have your yes and your no. Mm -hmm. What happens then? Well, we compromise. Okay. And also, one of the things we had to learn is we had to no longer see compromise as a dirty word because when you want to fight, when you domestic, part of domestication is if you're right, you're worthy of love, you're worthy of acceptance, you're worthy yeah. of whatever image your ego is trying to set. Now, here's, here's a good entry to the other question you had about the difference of knowing a boundary. Oh, yeah, boundary. A boundary that's set by ego. Yeah. Ego, the function of ego is easier to understand as a function rather than a concept. Yeah. The function of ego is to protect the illusion. Yeah. And usually the illusion is the model by which we domesticate ourselves, that image of self that we have, what is to be a man, what is to be a woman, what is to be macho and all that kind of thing, personal importance. Yeah. And, and we will use right. it. Yeah, it's being right is one of the things that I have to be right in order to be worthy. And if I'm wrong, then I'm a loser. Compromise is a loser's bet from that point of view of ego. One of the things that is required is to detach compromise as not being such a dirty word and it's something that allows us to Mm co-create, something that allows us to find that common ground that allows us to navigate the choices that's in front of us. You can say, but part of the debate, you know, this is... Being having been a debate team and learning how to do that, the whole point, the origin of a debate is finding the idea that's going to help the tribe best. Mm-hmm. So that's why you, that was the whole point of a, for everyone's highest good. Yes, what is the plan that serves it the highest good? But somewhere along the line, a debate became a battle: of who is right, who is wrong, and I prefer to be right and you wrong. And this is where we begin to start telling yeah. lies and distorting and spinning yeah. and doing yeah. all that and because it's all about winning. Yeah. But if you're willing to find that common ground, all right, what is the thing that serves us? What is the thing? So from that point of view, it's, it requires one very important thing, the willingness to listen, mm-hmm. the willingness to see it from someone else's point of yeah. view, to, to see it where they're coming from. What does it mean to them? Because if you say no right off the bat, it's a very powerful thing. But if you're saying no, you're shutting down any form of communication. You're shutting down the ability to introduce an idea. And also, it's, going, it's kind of going putting your fingers in your ears and yeah. going, no, 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 no. I'm not listening. At that moment, all ability to listen is over. But the thing is, when you listen, you're able to give scrutiny to what you perceive. And if you're able to maintain what is the purpose, what is 
the focal point. What, what do I want? What do we want to create? Then, okay, what is the best for our what children? What do our children need? Right. You know, we move. Yeah, what's the need you know, for my son, for my daughter? For example, with my, we, we, we're in a, in a crossroads where how to raise a son with special needs without sacrificing my daughter who is mm-hmm. excelling at school. Finding that balance. She is doing really good in this environment. And if I change the environment, she may not, right. she might suffer from that, even if it's something good from our son. So what is the thing that allows us to serve both our children and our ability for she and I, my wife and I, to talk and come together allows us to find that common solution. All right, we want to move. All right, Audrey is doing great in this. Alejandro is doing great, but we're thinking about transitioning as he becomes an adult. Is where we live in a good place for him to be that? No, the answer is no. Should we move somewhere else? Yes. Should we move now? No, Audrey's doing good. Okay, so in four years when she graduates, we will do a shift. Where are we going to go? Phoenix, Rockland, Portland, San Diego. At that moment, we won't take anything out of the equation because we need to see what is good for him as Audrey goes off to college. So it's one of those things that putting on the table and keeping the momentum because if I get attached to going back home to San Diego and I have to go to San Diego, then I'm going to make that decision and it turns out to be the worst decision for both of them especially if I'm not really checking in and I am the husband, she has to do what I say, all of this. At that moment, I am closing all channels of communication and I don't know if I'm about to yeah. make decisions that have consequences yeah. that are contrary. So in order for that to happen, I let go of mm-hmm. my personal importance. I, And the way to do that is to heal from the wounds that conditional love left in my heart, to let go of my conditioning, let go of domestication. And once I'm able to do that, I no longer have a barrier, a hurdle that stops me from listening to the needs of my wife, my kids, my, my daughter. And to me, that sounds, that, that sounds like the fundamental principle of when you talk about being able to listen is that once you get out of your trigger, you diffuse, you've done healing, you know, whatever it takes, right? Then you can listen with an open mind. You can be flexible, not so much to the what. You can focus on the how, you know, not so much on the how. You can focus on the what it is that you both have as common ground and achieve, you know, what I like to call the win-win, right? Mm -hmm. That compromise where, both of you are really yeah. getting fundamentally what you need, maybe not in the package you originally anticipated. <laughs> but but, what, but an important, important thing is that, you know, even though we've done the work, we get triggered. So one of the big things uh, yeah, that happen is to be aware when, you know, and, and you can tell, you know, what I have my triggers, my wife has her triggers, and we can both tell when they're up. When that happens, mm-hmm. we take a step back. All right. Yeah. I'm out. Yeah, we like basically, you know, because she ended up doing the same thing I ended up doing. And, you know, the whole walking away. Yeah. She has a walking away point. And she walks away to give me a, that time to diffuse myself, especially if I've been triggered mm-hmm. or at least a versa. Mm-hmm. 
I've, I've learned so calling it out doesn't work. <laughs> oh, honey, oh, your barriers are up. What do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, all right, that doesn't work. Let me try it a different yeah. way. Patience. Okay, patience take, helps me. Yeah, I just say, you know what? I'm, and I, I take responsibility, even if it's really him and his trigger. I say, you know what? I'm feeling kind of in persona and in my trigger right now. So yeah. I'm going to move away, even though it's secretly him that's in his trigger. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. It comes back to him because one of the uh, common questions I get is, well, what about this other person? What about my spouse? What about this? I'm yeah. like, I tell him, remember, we don't control them. No. no, go back to your center. If you realize they're being triggered, take the step back. Now, mind yeah. you, I'm not saying cower or or recluse yourself. Is this is the difference between knowing your boundary? All right, I want my boundary. I'm gonna take the step backwards. Yeah, but I'm gonna stay in my boundary of of my assertion. And when the yes. moment comes, I will reengage. Yes, and, and it's, it's it's ability an ability to create space or whole space for dialogue. Yeah. I think that's so powerful and important and the hardest thing to do. I mean, that's where most of us fail in like, that's what leads to the spiral in relationships is not being able to have that kind of healthy dialogue where you're not in your triggers, where you're really able to empathize and, and hear one another. And I think, you know, you were talking about like, you know that it's not it's a it's an ego based boundary, not sort of a healthy boundary. Mm-hmm. When you're in your anger, I would add to that from my perspective, even from lots of women. Although women often go to anger, is fear, mm-hmm. right? Anytime you're in fear or anger, probably like what I've started to do as someone who's learned, and I'm curious what you think about this as someone who's learned a lot about erecting and holding our own boundaries over the past five mm-hmm. to ten years is that. If I'm in doubt, which I'll very quickly do, because that's sort of my knee-jerk trigger, I literally run what I'm thinking. The only way I can describe it is that I run it through my heart. I like hold, I put all of my attention in the center of my chest and I hold that thought of what I'm struggling to say yes or no to, my boundary in that moment. And if it feel, if my, if I feel a clench, then I kind of think, and it's, and I, you know, then I can sometimes touch into, okay, this isn't real, what mm-hmm. I'm reacting to, yep. you know, yep. versus that sort of open, full body yes feeling mm-hmm. that says, okay, sister, this is a good boundary. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's like you got to, got to know yourself. And it's, it's a very important thing. It's like if you want to be that change in that relationship, you're the first person to take it. Now, and in that awareness, you come to realize that fear and anger are the same. In fact, the function of fear is to keep us safe. Irrational fear is the abuse of Mm -hmm. it. Kind of like abusing alcohol or drugs. We abuse fear like like Mm -hmm. that. Fear is expressed through fight, flight, or freeze. And there's also finish. Yeah, yeah. And the examples of this is flight, is you know when you, if you have someone in a real danger in front of you, so like a snake or someone with a gun, flight is you're gonna run faster than you yeah. ever expected. You never realize you can run a five k that fast, even though you've never trained for it. You yeah. can run it. That's what fear does. So all of a sudden, mm-hmm. all you can freeze is also when you <gasps> and all of a sudden you you stop making a choice. You just freeze and just hope that everything blows over. Right? That's the yeah. deer in the headlights. That's that's fear response. Fight is anger. Yeah. It's a, whenever you feel anger, 
it's really fear. Something about this situation has triggered your fight or flight response and the adrenaline that's going through your body is rushing through you that allows you that if you choose to fight, you're not going to yeah. feel the pain. Not until the adrenaline yeah. goes off and all of a sudden you just yeah, feel where that was. smack happened or whatever. Then you feel like that. That's what anger is. Anger is fight, the fight mm-hmm. response and fear. Finish. Finish is when you want it to end. For example, my brother likes this analogy and I'll use it because it, it comes to the point. He was in an airport once and he saw there was a couple there looking through the magazines. The husband had picked up a magazine and oh, he, was, he looked a little excited, a little happy. And he looked at it going, I want to get this. You know, that, that was the expression in his face. He turns to his wife and he says, look what I got. And she says, his name says, well, let's just say Harold. That's just for example. Oh, Harold, that's not like you. No, that's not you. And the man looks at the magazine. Yes, dear, you're, you're right. And he puts it back in the, in the rack. Basically, that's an example of finish, meaning I am not going to right. even try. I'm, I'm going, I, I know that if I finish it, you know, that was I me will in my early adulthood. I'm not, I was a finisher. Okay, yeah. fine. Forget it. <laughs> yeah, so you basically at that moment, yeah. you diffuse the situation by letting this person control and dictate yeah. everything. So this is fear. You know, you, you, you're afraid of your yes or no. It's a, it's a form of finish is basically a yeah. form of freezing. But freezing requires not taking a single choice. Finishing, you're making the choice mm-hmm. to give in or, or subjugate yourself. Yeah. Now, irrational fear is the analogy I have of it is imagine going to a movie theater and you watch a, a horror movie. You know, for, for me, Poltergeist or the Blair Witch Project, the first time I saw it. That was scary. Yeah, the first time. Yeah, the second time I, it was like, okay, I can see how they did it. And then the, it's not. But the first time I saw it, man, I've never seen anything like it. I felt fear, flight, fight, <laughs> oh, freeze, and even finish came in. You know, f- fight is when you scream, ah, that's fight. You know, in the movie, in the movie theater, when people scream, yeah. that's the fight response. Fleeing is when you close your eyes and you put your fingers on your ears. I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear. That's I do freeze is going, <laughs> and you gasp and you stop, you know, and, and finish is, you know, well, you, well, you walk out, you know, it's just like, <laughs> or, or something like that, I don't know. Here's the thing. It's um, light being projected onto a screen with a sound system. Yeah. You're not in real danger. But the, bo- the body and the mind get so into the story that they can't tell it anymore. They're completely involved yes. and they will feel that. You will feel fear. Now, here's the thing. The mind is more powerful than any movie projector. We will project the what-ifs about life and answer it with the worst-case scenario. Yeah. And we will respond with that fear. We will project onto life that which we're afraid of, which is the what if. And the answer that we don't like. Yeah. And we will respond that way. And the danger about that is that we take action. Yeah. When we're really I mean, it's one thing to walk out of a movie theater. It's another thing to walk out of your relationship, right? Yeah. And and that's the thing. It's like a lot of fights happen because we made an assumption about 
with jealousy. Jealousy is basically comparing myself to yeah. someone else and me falling short every time. Or insecurity where like I'm saying no before yeah. I give life the chance to say no to me. You, you never know. If you ask, yeah. life might say yes. But it's the, it's the thing that in our lives, in our relationships, kind of like when, while we were talking about uh, parenting before, the secret mm-hmm. of our relationship is that we have no idea what we're doing. We're playing it by ear. Because just like when we're raising a child, the person we're raising is changing right in front of their eyes. They're changing physically, emotionally, intellectually in front of us. Yeah. Our beloved is also changing. You know, this is where release comes in, the willingness to let go of the image. My wife is not the same person she was when she was 28, <laughs> 30, 35, 40, and I'll stop right there. We all do. My wife has changed yeah. because life has happened. So if I treat her the same way I treated her when she was 28 years old, I'm in complete disconnect yeah. with my relationship. I'm in relationship with an illusion. The willingness to see her, the willingness to listen to her, the willingness to be pay attention and more importantly to hold space. It took me a long time to, when she came home and she would complain about her job. She's not expecting me to fix anything. No, All not. she wants is someone to hear her. Yeah. It took me a long time. A to lot realize, of guys have a hard time with that. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. Because I, I, I see whenever fix someone it. brings yeah. the problem to me, oh, you're, you're expecting no. me to have a solution. She just wants you but to in, be in a, reality, she, she doesn't want me to fix, fix yeah. a single thing. But, All she wants is an ear. Yeah. And I'm learning how to do that. Now I'm my mom, my mom is entering her seventies and you know, she's, I'm, she's, mm-hmm talking mm-hmm. a little differently she's you know she, i can hear her age i love her very much but i'm learning how to take steps back and realize my my grand my mom mm-hmm. you know is sometimes confused about what well, something she made her memory is not the same as she used to be so i take a step back and try to figure out what she's saying instead of reacting right. the way i used to react when i was a teenager or young when i was younger taking a step back and realizing this is a woman who is doing the best with what she's got and she's learning how to be in her 70s and her memory wasn't what she it was. She's a little confused, but she's still trying her best to stay present. That's the fundamental example of empathy, right? What you're saying is that when we deal with our own stuff, and we can become aware of our own triggers and we let go of our own domestication, which is a never ending process, as you say, because you're always going to get triggered. That's when we can really do that for our partners and create that in our relationships. Yeah, because we're not going to, we have complete confidence that we're not going to get lost in this. Yeah. yeah. You know, sometimes that's the big fear. We can, I'm going to lose myself. That's also to realize you never really lose yourself. No, you never realize, you never really lose yourself. No. You're just making choices or making saying yes and no that become automatic. And the only reason why they become automatic is that we start, stop thinking about it. We go to the automatic yes and the automatic no because we've done it so many times. We become a masters of yeah. our own conditional love. But if we take th- that step back and realize what we've done and what direction I want to go to, you know, today we're the youngest we will ever be. How do we want to spend the next few years of our life? What do I want to experience? What do we want to engage? What do I want to feel? Yeah. The beautiful thing about that is that I get to answer that, you know? And even, even with my wife, you know, we've been together for 17 years and we'll continue to change and evolve. My kids 
they're in the middle of their teenage years and they're figuring themselves out. And just in the same way I describe my mom, I'm describing my daughter and my son because, you know, they're going to step back and and realize it's their journey. And my job is to be there for them. I don't know whether I heard you saying this or read this, but I sort of made this metric here where you are saying, you know, basically this idea that when we heal our own wounds, we can trust more and then we can open up more and then we can create more intimacy. And when we're and completely show ourselves, be vulnerable. Right. And, and that's really what creates intimacy and you can't, you can't give what you, what you don't have. So as, as I'm always saying too, you're saying it in, in, in your way. And, and I've said it too, in mine is that the key to every healthy relationship and and healing your relationship starts with yourself. The love we have Mm is it John Lennon, the the love we have to give is equal to the love we live, you know? So I thank you so much. Uh, the the book that most recent book, and I want to just quickly hear about your upcoming book, but Seven Secrets to Healthy Happy Relationships uh, is the name of the book. What's the new book? You, do you have a book coming out soon? You said right. Yeah, October, uh, the Mastery of Life is coming out. Um, it's a book that is yeah, it's it's a book that I wrote. I started writing when I I I, I took on some apprentices and I began to teach in the framework of Teotihuacan. And the original title was, uh, the working title, the first one was The Path of the Apprentice. And then I changed it to The, uh, the Path of the Master because that's what we you know, become. And then my, as my, my publisher, we're, we're working through it. My publisher comes and says, you know what you're really doing here? Is, this is the mastery <laughs> of life. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. And, and basically, you know, when you have a title like that, you know, you yeah. really up the game because, all right, this is you get stuff. And here's the thing. When we talk about mastery, it's not about imposing my will upon something. We're not talking about that. The mastery is about putting into practice our, what we've learned. You know, Living it. if uh, I become a master by putting into practice that which I've learned, and every time I apply it, I gain more confidence in myself to be able to do it, to say yes to it. And as I gain confidence in my ability to make that choice or take that action, it becomes faith. I have faith in myself to be able to manifest this. Yeah. And that's everything. We will be looking for that book and you can follow Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. on social media, right? Is there anything you can tell them if they want more information, the best place to go on your books or your workshops, or if you want to go to a shamanic gathering? Well, you can go to my father's website. It, it turns out to be the family website, miguelruiz.com. I have a website, my own, miguelruizjr.com, miguelruizjr.com, but miguelruiz.com, that's my father's website, and that's the family's website. So you can find everything that the Ruiz family is doing there. I got to tell you one more thing um, about speaking of your family, about your brother, Jose, who I obviously saw speak a lot over this weekend as well. And one of the things he says has become a mantra with my girlfriends who were with me because he was talking about this inner dialogue and our inner domestication, right? And the ways that, and he was using his cell phone as an example. I don't even remember the example, but the ways he said, he was giving lots of different examples of the ways that he ne- would negatively talk to himself or doubt himself or whatever. And he said, and mm-hmm. I would just say, silencio, Jose. Silencio, Jose. 
<laughs> I was like, that encompasses everything. So whenever my girlfriend starts to talk that way, I'll look at her and I'll say, silencio, Jose. And she's like, oh, yeah, I know. So that, <laughs> you should put that on a t-shirt. Yeah. Silen- That's a good silencio, like, he, Jose. He, yeah, he, he just he just washed, he just washed Luca. <laughs> silencio, Bruno. <laughs> It, it's a you know it, it's a it's it's a good one because that, that's exactly it. when when I heard Silencio Bruno yeah. for the first time I'm yeah. like that's it that's it that's the whole like the individual dream is the relationship between me and me if I'm the voice that's talking inside my own mind who's listening I am yeah. if I'm the one who's listening who's talking I am so whenever have a Silencio Jose comes in, Silencio Jose yeah, Silencio like Bruno so from Luca yeah it's 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 a really powerful quote and an instrument so yeah yeah good well tell him thank you for that. And thank you for all the beautiful work you are doing, your whole family is doing. I look forward to the next book. And I thank you for spending your time with us. Thank you so much, Laura. I appreciate it.